So today I want to finish up really what we started talking about last week. Last week we were talking about what really is a personal relationship with Jesus about. What is it? And we tried to define it last week a little bit more understandable in the way that maybe we make relationships with people. Because in all honesty, when we make a relationship with God, we're making a relationship with someone that is like us because we were created in his image. So we do. We're uniquely created more than any other creation that he ever made, more than an animal, that we are created to have relationship with God because of the way he created us. And then sin came in the world and destroyed that relationship. And then Jesus comes in as a baby at Christmas, and then he becomes the perfect sacrifice through his life and his death and resurrection that gives us the ability one more time to have relationship with God. And um, we talked about that last week, and we talked about the first two points we talked about were relationship building, whether it's with a person or with God, is a two-way street. In other words, it requires both parties to be desirous of having a relationship. You can't have relationship with someone that doesn't want to have a relationship with you. No matter how hard you try, if that person says, no, I don't like you, <laughs> no, I don't want to be in a relationship with you, there's nothing you can do to create that relationship. You'll just be frustrated by it and you'll be hurt. Uh, so it requires two ways. It's, it's a giving and taking. It's a two-way street to develop relationships. And then we also talked about that there are obvious activities that must be done together. There's a togetherness required to have relationships. You can't just know of someone or know about someone. You have to do things with that person to develop relationship. And uh, we talked about how, how important it is that we, that we did that. And, you know, it is important that we recognize, first of all, that we, to have a relationship with God, there's only one way to do that. And the Bible is very clear about this, and it's given in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all of these false religions, all of these other ways of getting to God, even though they may be good, they, they, they may sound good, they may, they may sound appealing, they may be very humanistically right, if it isn't Jesus at the center of it, it's not going to God our Father. There's only one way to God, our Father, and that is through the life of Jesus Christ. So we have to recognize that. And then we talked about the relationship, how, how we do that. And if you remember, we used Jason when he was here, and we set him up on the, on the platform up here in a chair. And Jason and I sat down, and we began to develop relationships as we were together and speaking. And then we talked about how a little uh, prayer aid for all of us if we're having a hard time getting into a relationship with God, and that is that maybe you set up a chair in your home or your prayer, in your prayer closet and, and just set an empty chair there and, and just imagine in your mind's eye that Jesus is sitting in the chair and that you are going to sit down and you're going to have a conversation. Maybe you want to get a cup of coffee. Actually, put a, put a, put a cup of coffee over there for Jesus because he likes coffee. I know he does. Um, he told me he did. He likes Kona coffee. And, uh, and maybe you sit down and, and, and you just have a cup of coffee. You take a drink and then he takes a drink. And, and you just sit down and have a relationship. And it just it, it helps you maybe get in, the, get in the, the, the mood maybe that you are trying to develop a relationship with a real person. Because Jesus is a real person. Do you know that? He came as a real, ba a real baby, didn't he? We talked about it in the Sunday school class today. 
and how important it was that he had a virgin birth. Rip mentioned that how important that is that that the virgin birth is required because that is that means he's that means God is his father and not Adam, and so it's a really significant fact that he was born um, God and man, and uh, together he uh, they walked the earth. Jesus walked the earth, and he became a perfect example for us. And so that relationship process is very important. James chapter 4 tells us that, uh, that we are to choose our friends wisely. And how important it is that we are wise in our choice of friends. And, and also he, he tells us how much God wants to have a relationship with us. So going back to the two-way street idea, it's very evident that God wants relationship with people. He wants them with you and I together. Uh, in James, James chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5, it tells us, it calls us an adulterous people. But let's not worry about those three words right now. Let's get to the meat. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? What's enmity stand for? What is enmity? Strife, warfare, contention. Nothing good in enmity. It's hard word to say because it's, you don't want to be there. You don't want enmity with God. It says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You ever thought about that? What does it mean to be a friend of the world? What does it mean to you to be a friend of the world? Does it mean that we can't work in the world? Does it mean that we can't live in the world? Dan, what does it mean to you? Yeah. It means that when you're in the world, that you're not of the world. It means that you are in the world, but not of the world and then verse 5, or do you know Scripture, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he, being God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He is jealously longing for relationship with you and I. God, the creator of the universe, really, really wants to be in relationship with you. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's just think about that a little bit. That he wants to have relationship with you. And, and I was thinking this week as I was preparing this, two things, two, two different thoughts came to my mind that we didn't talk about last week, but two new thoughts. And the first thought is that this relationship that Jesus wants to have with us is not a difficult relationship to have. It's not difficult to have a relationship with Jesus. We make it hard we make it difficult because there's a lot of things that we don't like to submit to in the relationship process. You know, I'm learning more and more about myself all the time. In fact, yesterday we were driving north from uh, Big Rapids, and I was alone because Chris and Jenna were driving behind me in her car. And I finally realized why I don't like to be behind somebody when I'm driving a car, why I have to pass somebody. It finally dawned on me after 55 years, well, not of driving, but 55 years of life, it is because I don't like to submit to somebody else telling me how fast I can drive. That's it. it it's, it's a submission problem in my life because I don't think that person up there has any right to tell me I can't drive any faster, especially when they're going 40. 
But I realized, and, and when I, seriously, no, this is serious. When I realized that, I repented and I said, God, what other areas of my life am I not submitting in? What other areas in my life that I'm being stubborn in when it comes to relationship with you that I don't want to submit to because I'm stubborn? And that I don't want to submit to anybody telling me what I can and can't do. Especially if it's your word. It was a revelation to me. I thank the Lord for that I was driving home last night and I learned that. That there are some things that I need to submit my life to to have a relationship with Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, it's not hard. But I make it hard. Because the prideful man rises up within me and says no. And everything that Jesus is asking me to do is only for my benefit. Only to protect me from myself. You know, and just like if I would be patient when I'm driving that car in snowy weather and I should be comfortable, I should be glad that we're going 40 miles an hour instead of being in a ditch someplace going zero miles an hour. We saw ditches. We saw cars in a ditch. We saw a van flip over and end up on its, on its top, and we had to get out and help seven teenage kids out of the van. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but they weren't going very fast after that. But I got back in my car and went 40 miles an hour, and I should have been happy about that. And today I am, that I'm here. So the relationship that we have, again, it's, it's the simplest and the hardest. In other words, God has relationship with it from the simple to the most intelligent. In fact, probably the most intelligent person has the harder time having the relationship. Think about it. The person that thinks they have everything figured out, it's probably harder for them to have a relationship than a person that is simple, that just believes because they're told to believe or because they read it and they believe. Or a person that has a lot of money, a lot of self-sustaining power on their own. Maybe it's more difficult for them to have a relationship with God than those that are not so wealthy in that regard. And, and maybe people that are more powerful have a harder time have submitting to God because, again, they are looking at their own ability to do something. But really, what the Lord wants from us is a humble heart. The Bible talks a lot about pride and, and humility. In Proverbs 16:5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Detests is one of those hard words. Like enmity, it's hard to say because you don't want to have a prideful heart. Because the Lord detests the proud heart. It says, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. God keeps good track of those that have prideful hearts. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives, more, he gives us more grace, and this is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So, relationship building with God says, have a humble heart. And then here's the other thing that came to me this week that I thought was very important that we understand, and that is this, that, that in our relationship building process, we are going to make mistakes in our relationship, and that's absolutely okay. It's okay to make mistakes. And I say it from this regard, because when you make a mistake, if you have the right attitude of the, about the mistake that you just made, it'll make you a better person at the end of the day. It'll make you a better person because you will, if you have a confession and a repentance, we talked about confession and repentance a lot. Confessing says, I made the mistake. Repentance says, I'm sorry that I made the mistake. I'm not going to try to make that mistake again. 
Okay, so very key items there. But when I make the small mistakes, it's okay because the Lord will then take that and will make us a better person. I have an example, a very personal example to me because this really bothered me. This really scared me, in fact. And I almost hate to admit it, but I will. I was driving school bus, and I, I've, I've been driving a year and a half now, okay? And you don't really think a school bus driver is that big of a deal until you get a bunch of kids on the bus. You realize the responsibility that a bus driver has. And I got to the point, I was dropping some kids off, and, you know, you gotta, there's a process. You've got to pull the emergency brake because they just don't have a, a park. It's a neutral, but you've got to pull the brake. And, and I got distracted, and I stopped, and I opened the door to let some kids off, and I looked in the back, and I'm thinking, why aren't the kids coming off? And all of a sudden, I looked down, and I realized the bus is rolling. I thought, oh, I didn't put the brake on. That scared me so much, because all I could think of was a little kindergartner and me running over him. See, that little mistake right there was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, that I could, maybe I could be fired over that. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, once I made that mistake, I will never, ever open that door until I know that I pulled that emergency brake. Little mistakes like that, if they're done in the right, if, if you take the right heart attitude over something like that, can be the best thing that ever happened. So parents, when your kids make little mistakes, thank God for that. And let them deal with it. Don't take the consequences away when they make the little mistakes because God will use them. If the heart is right, and, and this is where you need to help parent them a little bit. Help them and know that, yeah, you did a bad thing. I did a bad thing. But thank God no one was hurt, and that I've learned from that, and it'll never happen again. Little mistakes are okay if we acknowledge them right, and if we, and if we have a right heart about them. God uses them for our benefit. So two points that I thought were important to make. So now... Let's go back and let's move on and let's get back on track with the third step that we have in relationship building. The first two we talked about, this is the third one, that there must be action and commitment to protect, build, and nurture the relationship. And these are basic elements with people and basic elements with the Lord, that we're to protect it, we're to build it, and we're to nurture it. Now, why protect? Let's talk about that for a minute. Why is it important that we protect this relationship with the Lord? Well, let me tell you, the moment that you accepted Jesus in your life, the moment that you said, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me of my sins that come into my life, what you've just done is that you've switched teams. Before, you were on the devil's team. You were on the world's side. And when you accepted Jesus in your life, through the cross of Christ that 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 bridges the chasm called sin, you crossed over that, now you are on God's side, and now you've created a new enemy called the devil. And he is no longer your friend. He never was your friend, by the way, just so you know that. If you're not living for Jesus right now, the devil's still not your friend. He is still out to destroy you. He'll just, he'll just laugh with you and have lots of fun with you until you're destroyed. But he's not your friend. But when you crossed over that chasm into, of called salvation and now you were on God's side, now he is really not your friend and he's not laughing with you anymore. He is angry with you and he is out to destroy you and he is out to destroy this new relationship that you're building with our Heavenly Father. First Peter 5.8 says, Be alert 
and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You've seen lions, right? We've seen them. We've heard them. Roaring lions are dangerous. You do not want to be in the same room with a roaring lion unless there's a cage between you and it. There is no cage here. That's why we need to protect our relationship with the Lord because the devil will come in and do everything he can to destroy the relationship while it's still small. Remember how we said small things at the beginning of life? So many things start off small. Your relationship with Jesus starts off small. And it needs to be protected as it blossoms and grows and matures. And here's something that's really important about it. We talked about two-way streets. As we protect the relationship with Jesus, the most important thing is, is this, is that it also protects us. As I protect the relationship with Christ, Christ also uses that relationship to, to protect me and my life. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 19 in the Contemporary English Version translation, it says this, We are sure that God's children, and who are his children? Are his children everyone that's created? Who are God's children? Somebody tell me, who are God's children? Those that are born again. Otherwise, we're just a creation. You have to have a relationship with God to, have to be his children. So those who are God's children do not keep on sinning. God's own son protects them. And the devil cannot harm them. See how that protection goes two ways? As I protect my relationship with the Lord, as I, as I tend to it and protect it from the devil, and I do everything I can to protect it, he's also protecting me. And we are certain that we come from God and that the rest of the world, and the world is being those people that have not yet established a relationship with Jesus, that's who the world is, they are under the power of the devil. Two-way street, protection. As you protect the relationship, Jesus will protect your, you, and your, and you and your developing of the relationship. Secondly, we need to build up our relationship. We need to build the relationship. We need to protect it. We need to build it. We are living, folks, understand we are living in some of the most perilous times of all time right now. Even though we're, weather, we're protected in northern Michigan and you know, we just have a little bit of snow, a little bit of ice. But you know the world is going through some really bad stuff right now, isn't it? I mean, our economy's failing. The, the, the wars in the Middle East are just raging and it's just ramping up more and more. We're living in perilous times. And, and in this, we need to be sure that we're building our personal relationship and helping others to build theirs is very important in these last days. We are living in the last days. You're living in your last days, whether you know it or not, because you don't know what tomorrow holds for you personally. So some will argue about, always, oh, don't scare me with those kind of... I'm not scaring you. I'm just telling you the reality. None of us have a guarantee for tomorrow. None of us have a guarantee for the next heartbeat. So we are all living in our last days. So now, with that said, let's read what Jude tells us in the book of Jude, verse 1, starting at verse 17. But dear friends... Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. And these are the people who divide you, who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, 
By building up yourselves in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, you keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You see, there, in, in these perilous times, there's going to be many distractions that are going to come. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to, natural things that are going to come to try to distract your relationship. You're going to have friends. You're going to have peer pressure in school, young people, that if you're living for Jesus in the high school, you're going to have peer pressure to say, why are you building that up? Why are you, why are you, a, why are you a Christian? You may have peer pressure on the job. You may have persecution from your boss or from your peers at work. And here's what's even scarier is that you might have problems at home with your family. I don't know what your family background is, but it might be hard being a Christian in your own home. So we need to build up our relationship with God. And, and we know that He is the preserver of it. If we will just give Him that authority in our life, He will help preserve the relationship. He will help protect it. He will help build it. And then thirdly, we need to nurture the relationship so that we can continue to grow on and grow it and live in it. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 in the English Standard Version. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. Because what does the word abide mean? Yeah, to stay. And to, to carry on. In, in an NIV translation, it says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Abide is kind of a strange word. We don't really use the word abide too much in our vernacular, do you? When was the last time you said that you abide with your wife? <laughs> no, we don't abide with people. We don't speak that word, but it's a very powerful word. And maybe that's even why it is more powerful, because we don't use it very much. But when I look at the NIV, it says hold to. And when I look that word up, when I look the Greek word up, hold, it's translated as meno, M-E-N-O, and its meaning is to be exactly what Sandra said, to stay, remain, live, dwell, abide, to be in a state that continues or that begins and continues. That's so important that it just didn't begin, but it continues. To abide in Christ is to follow his example of a life obedient to the will of God. Basically, a permanent place. So when we abide in Christ... We are dwelling, living, staying, making it a permanent dwelling place for us. And when we do that, we are nurturing that relationship so that it continues to grow. I like so much what James McDonald said um, in a devotional that talked about this word abide. He says this, To abide in his word as disciples means our thoughts and conversations are permeated with Scripture. We are living in God's word so much that it fills us up guides our thoughts, and overflows from our lips. If we're not abiding in Jesus' words, if we're not basing everything we believe on the Word of God, we can't expect to know the truth or experience the freedom that comes from knowing His thoughts. But if we are abiding disciples, the truth saturates our hearts and our minds because His Word is truth. The more we know it, the more we are sensitized to what is true. We perceive when ideas and teachings are true because they agree with the Bible and when the concepts don't agree with God's word, we know they are false. Abiding 
helps us to know the Word of God, to let the Word of God permeate within us so that it protects us from false teaching. Abiding says, I know so much, I'm so close to Christ in my relationship that it protects me and it builds me up and it nurtures my relationship because I am growing in my relationship with the Lord. So abiding means we live there. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about some of the practical how-tos. This is pretty theoretical. You know, we can talk about all this all day long, but what do we do with this tomorrow? What do we do with these kind of messages on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? And that's, that's I want to basically get down to the, to the practicality now of living. How do we do relationship with God? How do we do that? Well, number one, very basic, read your Bible. Read your Bible. You must. We just read how much that, that James McDonald says about abiding is abiding and permeating and saturating our life with God's Word. How can you do that if you don't understand it? If you don't read it, how can it permeate you? You know, when I was in college, uh, that was a challenge for me reading some of the stuff I had to read. And, and I, would, <laughs> I would wish I could just lay the book in my head when I go to sleep at night and it would just flow from over while I was sleeping from the book to my brain. Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have to read it. You have to spend time in it. Now, you, some would say, well, it, it's, it's too hard. To, in fact, tell me some excuses because will you be honest with me today? Do we all read the Bible as much as we should? All right. Tell me some of your excuses. Why don't you read the Bible? Don't have time. Lazy. Wow, that's a, who said that? That's a good one, Jill. Don't understand it. Here's some, here's some practical tips for reading the Bible. There are many, many translations of God's Word. And I think we have to be careful, though, a little bit, because some of the translations maybe aren't really right on. But if you're reading God's Word to get the Spirit of God's Word... I think you have liberty to read a number of translations. And there are some really good words out there. The Message Translation, the Contemporary English Version Translation, the Easy to Read Translation, the, um, well, there, I mean, there's a bunch of them. If you have a computer, if you're computer savvy, go on BibleGateway.com, and there are, they're all listed, and you can read any translation you want. And, you know, it is fun. I use it a lot when I study for God's Word. It makes it so much easier to be a pastor today because it's so easy to go research stuff. I, I, it would have been really hard before the Internet. Thank goodness for technology. That's one thing I like about the Internet is how we can research with it. Be careful. Not everything on the Internet you read is true, by the way, just so you know that. <laughs> not everything you see on Facebook is true. I know that shocks some of these people. But uh, not everything you read or see on it. But if you read translations of God's Word... You pretty much can believe that. So that's, those are good excuses, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, though, does it? So read the Bible. Find a good reading plan that helps you read it. And you don't have to, I think Lois said it uh, on Wednesday night ago, about we don't have to read quantity, it's quality. In other words, don't just think you have to read three chapters today and just blow through them to get through them without really applying. Maybe it's better to read two or three verses. And, and settling in on that, say, Lord, give me a revelation. I, I don't have a lot of time. You're right, Andrea. So now, God, uh, give me the revelation. Give me the knowledge that you want me to have when I do read the Scripture that it, it means something to me. 
and it pulls it out, that, that knowledge. And then, you know, just go to a concordance or go internet and, and do some other scripture searches. And it's really more fun. Once you start getting into it, it's kind of a fun plan. It's kind of fun. Once you get into something, it just makes it exciting. So read the Bible. And you don't have to understand everything, just so you know that. You don't have to understand everything because I'll tell you right now, you won't. It's just too hard. It's just too much. And so don't worry about that if maybe that you don't understand something. Just go to the next verse and pray that the Lord will give you revelation and, uh, and start. Okay, the second thing we do. Meet together with other believers regularly. Read the Bible and then meet together with other believers regularly. Now, does that mean I have to go to church? Now, when I say that, boy, I hear the excuses already popping up again. Tell me, be honest again. I liked your honesty. Thanks for being honest. Tell me some, some of your excuses for not wanting to go to church. Sleep in. That's right, Dan said. What are some other excuses? Tell me honestly, why don't you like to come to church sometimes? Snowing outside. Okay, some and you know, and you're right. Um, there are some legitimate reasons called work, and I can understand that. So I'm not, I'm not legalistically here saying you have to be in church every Sunday. But when you have the opportunity to be in church, why? What are some excuses? Come on, I've heard them. I'm too tired. Church people are boring people. Um, we don't have anything in common. I go to church, and I don't have anything in common with the people I go to church with. There's no one my age there. There's nobody my age group there. I'm, I'm the only young married. I'm the only single. I'm the only old folks. I'm you know, whatever. I have more important things to do with my time. I mean, it's the weekend. Come on. Sundays are only my, my only day off. And Wednesdays, well, they're in the middle of the week, and, and I've got to get up to go to work on Thursday. So I can't go to church Wednesday because i got all that. So, I mean, the excuses are wildly out there, and any one you want to make your own is a good one for you. Because <laughs> I know I've been there. I've made my excuses, and, and I'm still trying to figure out how I don't have to be here to preach. <laughs> I almost had one yesterday because I almost said the weather's too bad. I'm not coming home. No, I'm only kidding. But Hebrews chapter 10 tells us in God's word, says, let us, not let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the, God's word is very clear about how we should meet together. And, and then let's read Acts chapter 2, talking about the early church. You want to know what the early church was like? Let's read this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They, being the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles. In fact, you can read it with me. Teaching, they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, not just Sundays, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The American church is not even close to this. In fact, this is what the American church is like. I'm going to paraphrase what the American church is like based upon Acts chapter 2. It says, They listened, that's the people, 
They listened and then decided if, if they agreed with the preacher's teaching. And if the food was good, they might stick for the potluck. Of course, they bowed their head for the prayer. When it came time for body ministry, everyone watched to see who was having problems and then wondered if God was going to help them. A few of the believers gathered together and, in all honesty, had nothing in common, but yet they smiled at each other on Sunday. They brought in a little of the money they worked hard to get all week and gave it in the offering, but only after they knew they had enough to cover everything they needed for themselves first. If they had a little extra, they put the change in the Salvation Army kettle as they left the store. Upon leaving Sunday church on Sunday, they would say their goodbyes to their dear church friends, knowing that it would be at least seven days before they would have to meet again. Occasionally, however, throughout the week, they would cross paths with someone from church, and when they did, they would give a good wave and say, Hey, let's have lunch sometime together, knowing that that would never happen. And then finally, Sunday again, and everyone wondered who would make it back for another day in church. Isn't that really more about what, what our church is like? Isn't it sad to think that we read Acts and then we read this and we think, oh man, which one, which one really is more powerful? Which one's more enticing? Which one shows more commitment to each other? If Jesus created the early church to operate the way that he described in, chapter, in Acts chapter 2, do you think that we've improved on it by the way we operate in church today? Is our version of church better than what he operated on in chapter, Acts chapter 2? Did we make it better? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, and I don't know. And I know that you know, for us to, to be in the same exact scenario is impossible. I understand that. I'm not saying that we live in a commune and that we sell everything and give it to the church and, and that we get wacky. That's where cults come from. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about the level of commitment that these people had for each other based upon the relationship they had with Jesus first and then through the love of Christ to each other. See, this young church met every day in the temple courts and they ate together. They, they fellowshiped together. They, they worked together. They spent time together. They did things together, not just on one day a week when it was convenient and maybe two days a week if you decide to come Wednesday nights. We have figured out in our way that church is optional, that church really isn't that important in our society anymore. And I'm telling you what, I don't think it's, I don't think it's making an improvement to God's church. So we need to keep gathering together. Number three, then, here's one way to help us stay in church, and that is get involved in a ministry group. Get involved in a group that does ministry in a church. It's not enough just to come and be a pew sitter in order to have a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. It doesn't help. It's not enough just to come to church. It's like, it's like the old saying, and this is kind of a funny one, if you sit long enough in your garage, you're still not going to become a car. You can sit in your garage all week long and you're still not going to be a car. You can sit in church all your life and still not necessarily be a Christian. Get involved. Get involved in a ministry group. Well, we don't have any ministry groups. We're a small church. Well, yes, we do. There's, there are lots of things we could be doing, we should be doing. We should be having a men's fellowship group. We should be having a ladies' fellowship group. We should be, men should be teaching boys and gr women should be teaching young ladies. That's biblical, by the way. That's called discipleship. We have youth groups that we can get a part of and help. We can, we can um, mentor new converts. We can get involved with Play Cafe. We can get involved with Tabitha's Closet. They need help. They need workers. We can be a Sunday school teacher. 
We can be a children's church worker. We can be an usher. We can be a sound tech guy. We can work in a nursery. There's all kinds of things to get involved with. And the more you get involved with your local church, you know what happens? The more that church becomes yours. The more involved, the more invested you are, the more it becomes who you are. And it's a good thing. Don't let the devil rob you of being involved in ministry opportunities in your local church. Don't let the devil come in and say it's not necessary. Because he tells you partial truths. You're right. It may not be necessary. But who benefits when you do it? You do. And the whole body benefits when you participate and get involved. See, I, I really believe that, that this is a comment that might ruffle some feathers, but let me just say it and I'll jump out of it real quick. <laughs> not every churchman, hear me, not every churchman is a good Christian. But every good Christian is a good churchman. Not every good churchman is a good Christian, but every good Christian is a good churchman. Now, what I'm not saying, don't read in between the lines. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to belong to Centerpoint Assembly to be a Christian. That's not in the Bible, and that's not what I'm saying. But what is the definition of church? Church is not this building. Church is the community that we live in. We are to be the church in the community that we live in. Therefore, if you are a good Christian, you will be committed to being a good churchman in the community that we live, and we will reach out and, and gather the lost to bring them into God's church. That's what being a churchman is. It's not just somebody that, that comes and sit in the, sits in the pews every Sunday and is there every, every Wednesday night. That's important, and we love it, but that's not the definition of churchman. Churchman is a person that is winning the loss for Jesus and discipling and is out there sacrificing and putting themselves on a the line every day. That's a churchman. And every good Christian will be, a good, will be a good churchman. Number four, pray daily. Pray daily. Now this is an obvious statement, and why even make it? Because we all need it. <laughs> We all need to pray daily and to more continually. Jackie, you can start working your way up if you want. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 19 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually. How do you pray continually? How do you do it? There's a lot of, lots of ways to pray. Lots of ways to pray. Prayer is all it is, is developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just sitting in that chair, looking at Jesus and saying, all right, let's talk. That's what prayer is. And, and I know we can pray when we're on a job. We can pray when we're in the car. We can pray when we're doing home chores. And that's all good. That's all part of praying continuously. But let me just tell you, though, that there is some value, though, in, in uninterrupted quiet time prayer there is some value in the prayer closet prayer now come on we've all been in restaurants haven't we and we're having a discussion with somebody and their cell phone rings what's the rudest thing a person can do answer their cell phone when they're having a conversation with you but we do it all the time it happens all the time rip's doing it right now actually um, what, but what, how rude is that but yet we do it to god all the time because we say, God, I'm praying to you. But, oh, wait, I've got to turn my blinker on here. I've got to go. I've got to look at my map. I've got to find out where. Okay, God, I'm back now. That's, you can pray that way. And that's, I'm not saying that's not right. It is good to pray that way. But God appreciates some time when you put it aside, 
put all the business of life away for a little bit and come down and just spend some quiet time with him and say, Jesus, it's me and you. It's just me and you now. And I need to have this relationship with you. I want this personal relationship with you now, Jesus. Let's just, you and I talk. Would you just share some things with me? And what's amazing is he will. If you listen, he'll talk to you. may not be a verbal, audio, audio, uh, uh, a voice that you might hear from the, from the clouds, but your heart will hear it. You'll, you'll turn to the next page in Scripture, and all of a sudden the Scripture is going to pop out at you. You didn't think you understood something before? Pray a little bit. And all of a sudden that passage pops right out at you and you say, Oh, now I get it. Now I see it. Thank you, Jesus, for talking to me. That's what it is. That's praying and that's reading the Word and that's how you learn. That's how you grow. So let me just summarize this morning that, that Jesus loves you, God loves you, and He wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. He proved it by sending Jesus His Son. He proved it by by all of the things that Jesus lived and did and died and rose again. That's, isn't that a proof enough that God became man and he put away the things of heaven for 33 years? Not for 33 years, forever actually, because Jesus is always going to be a man in the, shape, in the form of a man. He's committed, he's sacrificed, he's all in. Isn't it time that we become all in for him? Isn't it time that we return that level of relationship So this morning, I would ask you to maybe make some changes in your life if you don't do this already. And this is something that really has helped me over the weeks as we've gone over this, all this teaching on choices. I really do this. This really helps me. When I wake up in the morning, even when I don't feel like it, the first, one of the first things I really say to myself is, Jesus, I choose you today. I choose you. I don't, I don't even say the word love. Because love to me has too many connotations of feelings that I don't always have. I can't command those feelings, but I can command my choices. So I say, Jesus, even though I don't feel like it right now, I choose you. I choose you. And I, I choose to want to be used by you today. I choose to want to have a relationship with you today. I choose to want to be pleasing to you today. I choose to be available to be used of you today. I choose you, Jesus. And when I say that, all of a sudden, my life, there's a newness that comes in my heart, in my life, and the feelings ultimately come. So this morning, I, I would ask you, when, next week, start practicing that, if you haven't already. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you to be my partner today. I choose you to be my leader today. And, I, and here's something else that I really think is nice, because we talked about it briefly on Wednesday. And that is, if you want to learn something, the best way to learn something is to teach something. But you may say, I don't, I'm not a teacher. I don't have an opportunity to teach anybody throughout my week. It really is nice when you're, as a pastor, to be able to say that I'm learning all week long so that I can be prepared to teach on Sunday. It gives us a good excuse. But, but you may not have that excuse. But let me tell you this, because this is something else that's happening more in my life and I think what happened in your life. You can ask the Lord to prepare me to speak to somebody today that I have to teach. 
I have to, I'm going to witness to somebody today, Father. Prepare my heart now that I would be prepared to be able to give the word that you would have me to give to that person today. So teach me this morning, Father, in my devotion. Teach me what you want me to say to that person that you're going to put across my path that I'm going to make a difference to in their life. And all of a sudden, it gives a purpose to your devotion because it's not all about you anymore. It's about what you're going to share with somebody else and how you're going to impact their life. It works. Calvin. The Lord's just putting on my heart right now that if you have family, if you have loved ones that are living in the world, those are the ones that you need to pray for every day because there's so much power in prayer. The Lord works so many miracles through prayer that arguing with them is not going to bring them to the Lord. Prayer will. So any members that you, people that you love that aren't following the Lord, pray for them every day. Amen. Pray hard. Yes. And he will answer your prayers. Yes. Because he is a God of answer. Amen. It's good, Calvin. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I like interaction like this. Coming to church is not just about me dumping and regurgitating on you. <laughs> I really do like interaction. So if you have things to say, I, I wish you would say them. Because I learned from that. I learned from that. Thank you, Calvin. That was a good word. So just to wrap this up, be diligent in your devotional time this morning because God is going to use you today for something for someone. There are no mistakes. He has no accidents. There's no coincidences in God's planning. He's going to use you today for somebody. Be prepared. Study up. Pray up. Protect your relationship. Nurture it. Build it. Amen? Merry Christmas. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Isn't this what it's all about? The relationship with Christ at Christmas time? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this teaching. Lord, we thank you for what it is to have a relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus, that first of all, you want one with us and that you've done everything you can to do that. Now it's up to us to reach up and grab your hand because you're extending your hand down to us. Help us, Lord, to reach up. Give us that urgency. God, for those that Calvin mentioned that we're praying for our unsaved loved ones, help us not to ever give up praying. Help us not to ever be, give up and being diligent and, and praying for them and doing the things that we need to do to help lead them to you. God, we're so grateful. I, I just can't even begin to say how grateful I am and how grateful we are as a church body, as a believers, that we come to you. So, God, I pray that as we protect the other relationships, that you protect us. God, I just pray protection on this body today. I pray your blessing. I pray, Father, that as we go throughout our days that we are continuously praying and developing closer relationships with you. We give you praise. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.